Hi, welcome to Two Towns Over. This show is made possible by our patrons. If you want to monetarily support the show, we're at patreon.com slash two towns over. If you can't support us financially, then you can support us algorithmically by liking, rating, and sharing. Thanks. Enjoy the show. He's not and quite as eager to get into this. Episode. For more bad shit. <laughs> yeah, you can tell Ruben wasn't quite as ready to count in on that one. <laughs> so, welcome everybody. We're just going to go ahead and 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 do this because we just want to do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're just going to get it over with. Uh... This is. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. There is there is still so much more to get through, but we're pretty much through the majority of the killing, right? No. So where well, we left last left off, what was uh, the last just, thing that happened um, to our very we, hated rival Ted Bundy? I don't know if this Not rival, order. Our very hated this, enemy Ted Bundy. But we had discussed him uh, killing I, a twelve-year-old. Yeah, that's right. We yeah, left we, off where... we made the point that uh, among all the other things that everybody talks about Ted Bundy being, he is a pedophile. Um, we left off after he had this like basically year long, hyper aggressive crime spree. Uh, we we left off at about uh, what what was it? Uh, eight nine months into it. Yeah, uh, looks like where we're picking back we, up is in August of '75. We were like in October, September, and then that's right, that's right. Because we we hard covered like seven months of his his major crime spree across the Western U.S. Yeah, and uh, we are picking back up uh, a little less than a year later. Because we glossed over a fair bit of uh, a fair bit of the in between stuff. So go ahead and give your. Well, I'm going going to go ahead and give. This is another after dark episode. Also, this might be a long one because we're going to get through the rest of the script, and we didn't get halfway through the first script during the second episode. So buckle up, yeah. Buttercups. We're going to be here. So on August 16th, 1975, Bundy was finally arrested by Utah Highway Patrol Officer Bob Hayward in Granger, which is another Salt Lake City suburb. Hayward observed Bundy cruising a residential area in his Volkswagen Beetle during the pre-dawn hours and fleeing at high speed after seeing the patrol car. Can a VW Bug really flee at high speed? I mean, honestly. Uh, You've seen her be fully loaded. So high speed (laughs) chase can mean five miles an hour. It just means that you are driving at street legal speeds. That's it. Really? And yep. F- for the record, Josh, it, it no, can I, be surprisingly low. I've never seen Herbie fully loaded. I saw Herbie the Love Bug, and I've seen Herbie goes bananas. 
but I never saw Herbie fully the, the original. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not the not the Lindsay Lohan hey, one Don, that I grew up with. <laughs> I've seen all of the Herbie films at least twice, and I gotta tell you, you did not miss anything special. It, it was just another Herbie movie. It was fine. I, I've also seen all the Herbie movies. Yeah, it it was just, just another a modernized Herbie movie. Herbie, yep. Yep, with uh, Lindsay Lohan. He's an underdog because he's a bug. Uh-oh. Oh, he's going to win the race. Oh, the speedometer goes up to 200. That's ambitious for a beetle. And then, he, and then, of course, at the end, he, you know, does a wall ride. A sweet yeah. kickflip. Because yeah. <laughs> because Lindsay Lohan in that movie was a skateboarder. Yeah. yeah. And uh, we have to talk about Ted Bundy now. God yeah. damn it. <laughs> so Officer Hayward Haywood Hayward, sorry, uh noticed that the Volkswagen's front seat front passenger seat had been removed and placed on the rear seats and searched the car. He found a ski mask, a second mask fashioned from pantyhose, a crowbar, handcuffs trash bags, a coil of rope, an ice pick, and a partridge in a pear tree. And other items initially assumed to be burglary. (laughs) (laughs) Motherfucker, I'm going to take whatever humor I can find in this episode. Leave me the hell alone. (laughs) He had had removed the, the passenger side seat of the Beetle so that he could, uh, like lay his victims down out of sight so it looked like only one person was in the car so bundy explained that the ski mask was for skiing he had found the handcuffs in a dumpster and the rest of the items were just common household items <clears throat> however bullshit friend bullshit <laughs> you don't when's the last time you left your house with trash bags a coil of rope and an ice pick and the pantyhose he didn't mention that. Yeah, and a pantyhose mask. <laughs> so, Detective Jerry Thompson... Daily carry, you know. Yeah. Detective Ter- uh, Detective Jerry Thompson remembered a similar suspect and car description from the November 1974 Durant kidnapping and Bundy's name from the Clover phone call a month later. In a search of Bundy's apartment, police found a guide to Colorado ski resorts with a check mark by the Wildwood Inn and a brochure that advertised the Viewmont High School play in Bountiful, where Kent had disappeared. The police did not have sufficient evidence to detain Bundy, so he was released on his own recognizance. Ow! (laughs) Ow! Ow! Because technically that still falls under circumstantial. Jesus. Bundy later said that searchers missed a hidden collection of Polaroid photographs of his victims, which he destroyed after he was released. And that is where we're going to stop this episode. <laughs> I, I, I put it a few Join weeks. us for part four. <laughs> <laughs> While we were recording the last episode, I went through the script and added in... Uh, a few decent stopping points. That was the other one because I was like, "Oh, maybe we'll stop the first episode after he's arrested the first time." And mm. it's been we were at an hour and a half before that. So, Salt Lake City Police placed Bundy on twenty-four hour surveillance, and Thompson flew to Seattle with two other detectives to interview Clover. She told them that in the year prior to Bundy's move to Utah, she had discovered objects that she quote couldn't understand in her house and in Bundy's apartment. These items included crutches a bag of plaster of Paris that he admitted stealing from a medical supply house, and a meat cleaver that was never used for cooking. Additional objects included surgical gloves, an oriental knife in a wooden case that he kept in his glove compartment, and a sack full of women's clothing. 
Bundy was perpetually in See, debt. See, at a certain point, circumstantial evidence is like a thousand tiny signs pointing at one thing. Uh-huh. Like a, a bag full of women's clothing. This is where I'm at. Like, it's like... Oh yeah, okay, sure, sure, okay, fine. These things, it whatever, it gets cold, okay, fine. But then, a bag full of women's clothing, in conjunction with all of that, that's where you better draw the fucking line. That's essentially the fucking fish that point Dory to the EA current. You feel me? Like. <laughs> Bundy was perpetually in debt, and Clover suspected that he had stolen almost everything of significant value that he possessed. When she confronted him over a new TV and stereo, he warned her, if you tell anyone, I'll break your fucking neck. And she said that Bundy became very upset whenever she considered cutting her hair, which was long and parted in the middle. She would sometimes awaken in the middle of the night to find him under the bed covers with a flashlight examining her body. Um, that's creepy. Yeah, that is disappear type shit. Yep. Never show up in this town again with the same name or face. Uh-huh. So he kept a lug wrench taped halfway up the handle in the trunk of her car, which was another Volkswagen Beetle, which he often borrowed for protection. Uh, the detectives confirmed that He Bundy- fucking loved Volkswagen Beetles. Why? I don't know. I mean, they're a great car. This is what I said uh, way back in the first part. Ted Bundy loved four things. Uh, Violence against women, downhill skiing, Volkswagen Beetles, and I said another thing. Uh, The Republican Party. The Republican Party. There it is. So the detectives confirmed that Bundy had not been with Clover on any of the nights during which the Pacific Northwest victims had vanished, nor on the day Ott and Nasland were abducted from the Lake Sammamish State Park. Shortly thereafter, Clover was interviewed by Seattle homicide detective Kathy McChesney and learned of the existence of Diane Edwards and her brief engagement to Bundy around Christmas of 1973. Since September, I'm assuming this is September 75, Josh? Yes. Wait, 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 wait. He is now engaged to Clover? No, no, no. No, he was always dating her, but he was dating her while he got engaged to Diane, which was the girlfriend that he... Yeah. Got it. And... Yeah. Also, no, sorry, I was wrong. Uh, That is September of 1974, before he was arrested. Okay. So, yeah. So, in September of 74, Bundy sold his Volkswagen Beetle to a Midvale teenager... Utah police impounded it, and FBI technicians dismantled and searched it. They found hairs matching samples obtained from Campbell's body. Later, they also identified hair strands microscopically indistinguishable from those of Smith and Duranch. FBI lab specialist Robert Robert Neal concluded that the presence of hair strands in one car matching three different victims who had never met one another would be a coincidence of mind-boggling rarity. On October 2nd, detectives put Bundy into a lineup. Durant immediately identified him as hold, officer. Hold on. I'm sorry. I did not quite follow that. He, th- three victims? They found so, hair. Uh, they, he had sold his car uh-huh. to a teenager. Yeah. Uh, they 
found out about that. They went and they impounded that car uh-huh. that he had sold to the teenager okay. and dismantled the whole bitch. Right. Looked through it and found hair samples which matched three of his victims. Okay, that far I got. And then they said uh, hair strands matching three different victims, all of which who had never met one another, would be, Ah. quote-unquote, a coincidence of mind-boggling rarity. They were like, hi, three three lines connecting? That's a fucking triangle. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So on on October 2nd, detectives put Bundy into a lineup. Durant immediately identified him as Officer Roseland, and witnesses from Bountiful recognized him as the stranger at the Viewmont High School Auditorium. <clears throat> there was insufficient evidence, though, to link him to Kent, whose body had not yet been found, but more than enough evidence to charge him with aggravated kidnapping and attempted criminal assault in the Durant case. He was freed on $15,000 bail paid by his parents and spent most of the time between indictment and trial in Seattle, living in Clover's house. Seattle police had insufficient evidence to charge him with the Pacific Northwest murders, but kept him under close surveillance. Uh, Clover wrote, When Ted and I stepped out onto the porch to go somewhere, so many unmarked police cars started up that it sounded like the beginning of the Indy 500. Which is maybe the funniest fucking part of this entire story. I love that so much that they had so many unmarked cars outside their house that stepping out to get into their own car, you could hear just cars all the way up the fucking block <coughs> start getting ready to follow you. That's hilarious. That is actually very funny. It's I was, like, just stop. Just get out of your car. Last night when I was working on this, I was up until like 6.30 just modifying the script and uh it was like 5 45 by the time i got to that part and uh i was laying in bed working on it at that point and i just laughed hard enough when i read that to wake up capone and freak him out <laughs> <laughs> Take three in november the three principal bundy investigators jerry thompson from utah Robert Keppel from Washington and Michael Fisher from Colorado met in Aspen, Colorado and exchanged information which, with 30 detectives and prosecutors from five states. While officials <clears throat> left the meeting, which was later referred to as the Aspen Summit, convinced that Bundy was the murderer they sought, they agreed that more hard evidence would be needed before he could be charged with any of the murders. Imagine having done so many crimes that they have a summit about you. That's anime-level villainy. Yeah, yeah, right. That's what that is. So, in February of 1976, Bundy stood trial for the Durant kidnapping. On the advice of his attorney, John O'Connell, he waived his right to a jury due to the negative publicity surrounding the case. After a four-day bench trial and a weekend of deliberation, Judge Stuart Hansen Jr. found him guilty of kidnapping and assault. In June, he was, he was sentenced to 1 to 15 years in the Utah State Prison. In October, he was found hiding in bushes. Hold in the on. Pr- 1 to 15? 1 to 15 That's is the That's less than one per murder. Well, they, don't, they can't prove and yeah. convict him for this all is, of the murders yet. 
This is just for the kidnapping or the attempted kidnapping. What the f- effectively they want to get him off the streets right now immediately for the one thing that they can make stick, which is the one thing that they have the victim who can point at him and be like, yeah, that cunt. Yeah. And that's Carol Deranche is the only victim who got a good enough look at his face and they have physical evidence linking him to the crime Yada yada. So the only what one they, that it lined up good enough that they could actually at least put him away for what they can charge him with is attempted kidnapping, for which the mandatory sentence is one to fifteen years. Got it. So in October of seventy six, he was found hiding in bushes in the prison yard carrying an escape kit which included roadmaps, airline schedules, and a social security card, and spent several weeks in solitary confinement. Later, How that, did he get all that shit in prison? Smuggled in. How? Oh. Carol. Ah. Yeah, uh, we can finally remove the pin from uh, Carol Ann Boone. Uh, she was visiting him in jail and prison Got uh, it. throughout a lot of this time, smuggling in things that he asked her for. Don't trust the cops. <laughs> None of them. No kind of cop. So later They'll that do m- shit like that. Yeah. So later that month, Colorado authorities charged him with Campbell's murder. After a period of resistance, he waived extradition proceedings and was transferred to Aspen in January of 1977. On June 1970, on June 7th, 1977, Bundy was transported 40 miles from the Garfield County Jail in Glenwood Springs to Pitkin County Courthouse in Aspen for a preliminary hearing. He had elected to serve as his own attorney and as such was excused by the judge from wearing handcuffs or leg shackles. During a recess... Because when you... It's a general rule when you uh, represent yourself in court, which is never, ever, 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 ever a good idea. The rules are built so that you feel like you're getting your best shot. Yes. Exactly. You don't have to wear handcuffs. You don't have to wear leg shackles unless there are extenuating circumstances and the judge determines that you should still be wearing those things, which should have been the case here since he was already caught attempting to escape once. But, you know, white guy in the 70s, we get it. Yeah. So during a recess, he asked to visit the courthouse's law library to research his case. While shielded from his guard's view behind a bookcase, he opened a window and jumped to the ground from the second story, injuring his right ankle as he landed. After yeah, shedding, so among among other things that went into this uh, escape attempt, he had um, he had gotten the plans for the courthouse, so he knew that there would be a window there. Uh, he had had Carol Ann do a little bit of uh, surveillance. What for him? No way. Uh, so that he would know that that window would be open on the second story. And they assumed that since it's the second story, there's no way he's going to jump out that fucking window. It's a second story window. He'd get hurt. So he uh, practiced jumping off of the top of his prison bunk over and over and over and over for uh, to get his legs strong enough to withstand a, a long fall. So after shedding an outer layer of clothing, Bundy limped through Aspen as roadblocks were being set up on its outskirts, then hiked south onto Aspen Mountain. Near the summit, he broke into a hunting cabin and stole food, clothing, and a rifle. 
The following day, he left the cabin and continued south toward the town of Crested Butte, but became lost in the forest. Hey, I'm going to say something right here. <clears throat> this might be a hot take. Uh, I'm not sure, but she's the real villain of this story. Like, she's certainly one of them. I mean, she was also a victim of his psychological manipulation, which is one of the things sure. that he was very, very good at. Definitely. And I don't want to take away from that. But at the same time, she is a, a DES agent. Yeah. And like, I don't know if this is reductive. Also a woman. Like, you know what he does. She doesn't. She thinks okay. he's innocent. See, that there is an important detail that I may have missed. Yeah, no, she, she maintains his innocence until, like, almost the very end, as, as does he. He refuses to confess until very, very close to the end. That makes me sad. Yeah. So it's a for different two, emotion now. Uh, <laughs> for two days, he wandered aimlessly on the mountain, missing two trails that led downward to his intended destination. On June 10th, he broke into a camping trailer on Maroon Lake, <clears throat> 10 miles south of Aspen, taking food and a ski parka. However, instead of continuing southward, he walked back north toward Aspen, eluding roadblocks and search parties along the way. Three days later, he stole a car at the edge of Aspen Golf Course. Cold, sleep-deprived, and in constant pain from his sprained ankle, Bundy drove back into Aspen, where two police officers noticed his car weaving in and out of its lane and pulled him over. He had been a fugitive for six days. In the car were maps of the mountain area and around Aspen that prosecutors were using to demonstrate the location of Campbell's body as his own attorney, Bundy, had his right of discovery, indicating that his escape had been planned. Back in jail in Greenwood... Yeah. Greenwood so so he, he had rights to have all of the maps. Yeah. He had used those same maps to show them this is where uh, that body is. <coughs> and... Or they were using the maps to show where it was discovered. Sorry, yeah. where the body was discovered. Yeah. And so he had rights to those maps as his own attorney. So he stole them when he jumped out the window. Wow. So back I don't in even have. Just wow. Uh-huh. So back in jail in Glenwood. Back in jail in Glenwood Springs. Bundy ignored the advice of friends and legal advisors to stay put. The case against him, already weak at best, was deteriorating steadily as pretrial motions consistently resolved in his favor and significant bits of evidence were ruled as inadmissible. And more so, I feel like... Now, it's not quite fully formed. Never mind. I'm sorry. Continue. Yeah, right, right now, the case against him, like, like I... Well, this part actually, like Wikipedia wrote, um, it, it was not strong. It it really wasn't. We know through the benefit of hindsight yeah. everything that Ted Bundy <clears throat> did. But a judge who has to be completely impartial and is yeah. looking at what appears to be an upstanding man, uh, he was probably headed for acquittal. Well, that's what I was talking about in the previous episode where I was like... Uh, they have all this evidence. They know that the crimes have been committed. He, he could be tangentially linked to them, but nothing certain. That's what makes serial killers scary, is that they can have you in fucking custody 
and they still can't put you away for the crimes that you did because they can't prove it. Yeah. And ideally, that's how legal systems should work for everyone because you want to have, you know, the benefit of innocence until you are proven beyond a shadow of a reasonable doubt to be guilty or whatever. Yeah. But also, ideally, it's not serial killers. We find those faster, ideally. Yeah. Um, And just, again, in interest of transparency, pretty much the rest of the script uh, from here on out, it was so late and I was so lazy at this point that uh, I didn't even edit out the fucking uh, citations in brackets from Wikipedia. The rest of this we are reading directly from Wikipedia. I did not write this. So a more rational defendant might have realized that he stood a good chance of acquittal and that beating the murder charge in Colorado would probably have dissuaded other prosecutors with as little as a year and a half to serve on the Durant conviction. Had Ted persevered, he could have been a free man. Instead, Bundy That's assembled it. A- wow. So if not for his own impatience, he might have been walking free until he died a natural death. Yeah. Yeah. Well, until he got caught again for going back to murdering because true. he couldn't stop. True. Very true. So instead, Bundy assembled a new escape plan. He acquired a detailed four plan of the Garfield County Jail and a hacksaw blade from other inmates. He accumulated $500 in cash, smuggled in over a six-month period by visitors, mostly by Boone. Uh, during the evenings, while other prisoners were showering, he he'd saw a hole about he sawed a hole about one square foot between the steel reinforcing bars in his cell ceiling. Having lost thirty five pounds, he was able to wriggle through and explore the crawl space above. In the weeks that followed, quick question: Did Boone ever get arrested? No, I don't believe so. Why? How? She was a cop. Fucking, I I don't think she's technically a cop. Being a DES agent, I don't sure. But at the same time, uh huh. Come on. It's also I don't think it was confirmed until much later that uh she was the one smuggling stuff into him. Jeez, that makes me angry. Yeah. So multiple reports from an informant of movement within the ceiling during the night were not investigated. So by late 1977, Bundy's impending trial had become a cause celebre in the small town of Aspen, and Bundy filed a motion for a change of venue to Denver. On December 23rd, the Aspen trial judge granted the request, but to Colorado Springs, where juries had historically been hostile to murder suspects. On the night of December 30th, with most of the jail staff on Christmas break and nonviolent prisoners on furlough with their families, Bundy piled books and files in his bed, covered them with a blanket to simulate his sleeping body, and climbed into the crawl space. He broke through the ceiling into the apartment of the chief jailer, who was out for the evening with his wife, changed into street clothes from the jailer's closet, and walked out the front door to freedom. After stealing that the car- mother- you, We talked about a Looney Tunes villain. Come now. This <laughs> yeah. is Looney Tunes. Uh-huh. Because So the, the way it was set up was the, the chief jailer lived at the, at the jail. Yeah. Uh, he had a whole little apartment set up and Bundy managed to uh, break down into his apartment, steal a bunch of his clothes and 
walk right out the front door. <laughs> wow. Like like fucking Agent 47. Jesus. That's that's insane. This is what I mean. His strongest weapon was his ability to look like a just normal guy. I'm literally it's blowing my mind right now. That <laughs> you're the, 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 he get, he's getting away with shit that you can only get away with in a video game. And he's also like not a low profile uh inmate there either. So you would no, think that the like guards would the be most like famous one there. Right. You would think that the guards would be like, "Hey, that guy in normal clothes kind of looks like the most important inmate we have. Should we do anything? Maybe check his nah, cell. Nah, he's just a normal-looking white guy. It's midnight in this prison. Who cares? Yeah. <laughs> like, so after stealing a car, Bundy drove eastward out of Glenwood Springs, but the car soon broke down in the mountains and on, on Interstate 70. A passing motorist gave him a ride into Vale, 60 miles to the east, and from there, he caught a bus to Denver, where he boarded a morning flight to Chicago. Back in Glenwood Springs, the jail's skeleton crew did not discover the escape until noon on December 31st, more than 17 hours later. But by then, Bundy was already you in Chicago. You gotta be fucking kidding me. Uh-huh. So, it was it was Christmas time. So, they had a lot of people who were, like, out on vacation and stuff. Like it said, a lot of the, the non-violent prisoners were on furlough with their families. Um, people who were there probably just didn't fucking want to be there. They didn't want to work. So, no one was really paying attention. Uh, nobody even really checked on Bundy until noon the next day when they were like, Why is this fucking loser still in his bed? And they went to get him out of bed and discovered that he had turned into a pile of books. He's a magic man. Uh, then them all being fucking idiots, I assume <laughs> they uh, took like another couple hours to figure out that it wasn't actually witchcraft and he did it on <laughs> purpose and he escaped. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's for sure. That 100%. <laughs> so like, from- just, just like... That guy's fucking witchcraft picture on Unpedia. Yeah. <laughs> he done gone and transmogrified into books, Bundy. You turn back right now. All right, or so help me. <laughs> so from Chicago, Bundy traveled by train to Ann Arbor, Michigan, where he was present in a local tavern on January 2nd. Five days later, he stole a car and drove south to Atlanta, where he boarded a bus and arrived in Tallahassee, Florida, on the morning of January 8th. He stayed for one night at a hotel before he rented a room under the alias Chris Hagen at a boarding house near the Florida State University campus. Now, Bundy he later finally managed to come up with a with an alias that did not include his actual first name. Good. <laughs> Good, so for Bun- him. Good for him. Bundy later said that he initially resolved to find legitimate employment and refrain from further criminal activity. Knowing he could probably remain free and undetected in Florida indefinitely as long as he did not attract the attention of police. But his loan job application at a construction site had to be abandoned when he was asked to produce identification. Fucking rule. I've never had a job that required identification. I don't know what that job was about. Do you not give your ID to your job? Fuck no. I'm a sovereign. I'm a sovereign citizen. I don't have an ID. 
You're a what? He's a doing s- a bit. He says oh. he's a sovereign citizen because <laughs> he doesn't have an ID. Because the, the the name that they put on your ID isn't even a real name. It's it's just it's your your prisoner assignment. <laughs> Oof. Your real name is in all caps, like it is on your birth certificate. You're right. No, this is my slave name. You're right. <laughs> so <clears throat> he reverted that's, to his that's old. Actually, what sovereign citizens believe, to be clear. Yeah. No. I. Yeah. We're gonna have to do a deep dive on them one day. So yes, we are. Yep. He that, he, re- yep. he reverted to his old habits of shoplifting and stealing money and credit cards from women's wallets left in shopping carts at local grocery stores. Now, in the early hours of January 15th, 1978, one week after his arrival in Tallahassee, Bundy entered FSU's Chai Omega sorority house through a rear door. Kai. Kai? Kai Omega. Yep. Kai. I'm sorry. So sorry. Um. <laughs> no, it's it's fine. It's fine. I I meant to uh, I meant to put in a pronunciation key for that, and again, it was six thirty in the morning when I finished this, so yeah. I forgot. So yeah, Bundy entered FSU's Chi Omega sorority house through a rear door with a faulty locking mechanism. Beginning at about two forty-five a.m., he bludgeoned Margaret Elizabeth Bowman, twenty-one, with a piece of oak firewood as she slept, then garroted her with a nylon stocking. He then ordered the so bed. So this is fuck. This this is the climax of Bundy's killing spree. It's he. They had him in custody for so long, like oh, well over a year, like two years. Yeah, they had him in custody, and he wasn't able to carry out his fantasies. Yeah. So when he finally got out, he managed to hold off for long enough to get to Chicago, and then to Ann Arbor, to Atlanta, and then made it all the way down to Florida, and he got an apartment near a university. Damn. And uh, apparently to this day, if you're anywhere near that sorority house at FSU, and you mention Ted Bundy, you are getting kicked out. Yeah. I don't actually blame him for that. Me either. No, now apparently it's also a thing where, like, out behind the sorority house, they have uh, what they call the Bundy Trail. There's like a little trail through the woods. Yeah. It's like allegedly where Bundy approached the sorority house from. And if you walk on it, then you'll be like possessed by the spirit of Ted Bundy. Blah well, blah blah. There's a difference between the college girls sharing ghost stories with themselves yes. Yes. and people trying to scare the college girls. Right. So. He then entered the bedroom of 20-year-old Lisa Janet Levy and beat her unconscious, strangled her, tore off one of her nipples, bit deeply into her left... Yeah. Bit deeply into her left buttock and sexually assaulted her with a hair mist bottle. Jesus Christ. Yeah, so this, again, this is... He goes berserk. He gets so pent up from all the time that by the time he finally gives in he it's animalistic it is inhuman 
So. And then he was already inhuman. So. Uh, he was already inhuman, yes. And whatever little bit of humanity was left just leaves his body. Th- that one one fortieth that he didn't score on the psychopathy test. Damn. That, that fizzles away. And he... He just lets completely loose, out of control. He goes into the sorority house and just makes it a massacre. God. So, in an adjoining bedroom, he attacked Kathy Kleiner, age 21, breaking her jaw and deeply lacerating her shoulder, and Karen Chandler, age 21, who suffered a concussion, broken jaw, loss of teeth, and a crushed finger. Now, Chandler and Kleiner survived the attack, Kleiner attributed their survival to automobile headlights illuminating the interior of their bedroom and frightening away the attacker. Tallahassee detectives determined that the four attacks took place in a total of less than 15 minutes, with an earshot of more than yeah, with an earshot of more than 30 witnesses who heard nothing. After leaving the sorority house, Bundy broke into a basement apartment eight blocks away and attacked 21-year-old FSU student Cheryl Thomas, dislocating her shoulder and fracturing her jaw and skull in five places. She was left with... And so the the timeline on this, too, is like the attacks at the Chi Omega sorority house happen. As soon as he leaves, the survivors alert everybody else in the house. The police are called. The police arrive. While the police are at the Chi Omega sorority house, they get a call that another attack has happened. Down the fucking road. Gotta be, what, 15 minutes or less? Probably. Yeah. And, like, that's that's how out of control he was at this point. Is he, he just got four. I'm actually going to guess way less than 15 minutes because if injuries are involved, the ambulance is going to get there fast no matter what. Yeah, people are dead and dying, basically. Crazy. And he makes it, you know, a few miles down the road before uh, before he can't help himself and he sees another easy victim. Jesus. So uh, That's fucking really scary because... Think about, well, maybe don't think about it too hard, but like, think about like, bro, it would be so easy to break into my house. (laughs) Like, oh yeah, it would be. And, and every person that I know, I could break into their house and I don't know how to pick locks. Like, that's how, that's how calm, like fix your locks, like for real. So now, I don't think you you couldn't get into my house without waking me up. For sure, no, I, they they couldn't get into my house without waking me up. But you could I get could in. probably get into your house without waking you up. Ah, uh, yeah, but I sleep just because your house is big and there's a lot of distance between one window to your bedroom. You would be surprised, buddy. You would be surprised. Also, none of the windows open except for in the garage. So you would either oh, have really? to come in. Yeah, they're all painted shut. Um, ah, that's yeah, that, not safe. No, it isn't. Oh. We're trying to sell that. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> um, they, we bought it like that. Whatever. Um, <laughs> it, but it's it. It would if you came in through the front door because of how echoey it is. I would still hear you. Mm-hmm. Um, but coming in through the garage also kind of loud because it's right next to me 
where I'm sleeping. No, I was thinking Brian's room. Uh, Brian's that window only opens about two and a half inches. Hmm. So, yeah, it's it would be easy to get in, but not without alerting me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's the thing that's crazy about like uh, the fact that thirty people lived in this fucking house. Especially because you and I are also usually awake during the time when people are breaking the yeah, fucking exactly. houses. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I'm awake during murder hours. Right. You're, you're, I, I Can't have catch me, on. bitch. Yeah. Like, gotta get creative. So, yeah. So, Cheryl Thomas, uh, he dislocated her shoulder and fractured her jaw and skull in five places. She was left with permanent deafness and equilibrium damage that ended her dance career. Now, on Thomas's you know bed... What? Hold on. I just, I had a thought. You're you're safer if you live nocturnally. Yeah, because that's why so many neurodivergent people do it. Let let, let me be. Let me be a let me be a let serial killer. Let him cook for a second. Uh, okay, I'm a serial killer. I'm coming through a neighborhood. Clip that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm 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 looking for victims. Here I go. Oh, that place has its light on at 4 a.m. That means people are awake in there, and I won't be able to sneak up and get them in their bed. I'm not getting that house. If I really want to kill the person that's in that house, it means I'm going to have to come back during the day, which is not a good time to break into a place because you're going to be seen. People are awake. Yeah. I've got a handicapped neighbor... And, a, and another neighbor who's like literally housebound. Yeah. So like you're not getting in without somebody seeing it. Yeah, it's you're not going to be able to hear either. These are townhouses, motherfucker. Like yeah, it's yeah, they they touch each other. If he yeah. doesn't hear you, his neighbor absolutely will. Yeah, one of them. This podcast is powered by Podbean Podcast Hosting. Are you thinking about starting your own podcast or looking for the best home for your podcast? Check out all the amazing features that Podbean offers with unlimited bandwidth and storage for an affordable price. That's right, unlimited. Visit www.podbean.com unlimited to check it out today. That's podbean.com unlimited. So, on Thomas's bed, police found a semen stain and a pantyhose mask containing two hairs similar to Bundy's in class and characteristic. Now, on February 8th, Bundy drove 150 miles east to Jacksonville, Florida in a stolen FSU van. Duval! In a parking lot. Duval! In a parking lot, he approached 14-year-old Leslie Parmenter. Right, yeah. The daughter of the Jacksonville Police Department's chief of detectives identifying himself as Richard Burton Fire Department. Well, that's an original name. Uh huh, yeah. Richard Burton. Yeah. But retreated when uh, Parmenter's older brother arrived and confronted him. That afternoon, he backtracked 60 miles westward to Lake City. At Lake City Junior High School the following morning, 12 year old Kimberly Diane Leach was summoned to her homeroom by a teacher to retrieve a forgotten purse. She never returned to class. Seven weeks later, after an intensive search, her partially mummified remains were found in a pig farrowing shed near Swanee River State Park, 
35 miles northwest of Lake City. Forensic experts surmised that Leach had been raped before having her throat cut and her genitals mutilated with a knife. On February... How old was she? 12. 12. God damn it. Yep. That's... I I believe uh, Kimberly Leach is uh, pretty much the, the last victim. So on February twelfth, uh, like we 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 fucking we gotta fix this. I know we've been saying it for a long time, yeah. But like, and I know he's a literal serial killer, so that makes him an outlier. But like, the thing I, I don't know how to articulate. I guess what makes it scary is, well, number one, I'm an adult now, like actually. Yeah, right. So you ha- so you have to worry about things. I yeah. I have to think about I might have children or stepchildren not that fucking far in the future, you know? And I think about things like that. Of course, I don't have kids right now, so it's not going to hit me fully, but but also I'm thinking like my sister, my mom, also myself, like I I just, I I fucking flash back to all the safety things that my mom taught me because I'm black. Yeah. And the things that she taught my sister because she's a black woman. And like, I just, it's so terrifying. The meth, no, every time we talk about serial killers, it's like the methods that they use are just be somewhat friendly and look kind of normal. Yeah. You know, That's terrifying. I feel like this is the best possible place for me to uh, quote one of my favorite song lyrics um, ever, ever. It's uh, from a song called True Crime by Penelope Scott. I fucking love Penelope Scott. Judge me. Uh, Hold on. Let me let me find the let me let me find the line. It's called Lot of True Crime by Penelope Scott. I don't know if I I don't know if I should judge him. I don't know who that is. It, it, you would be right to. Um it, it has more to do with just Ted Bundy, but Ted Bundy is a uh, listed by name. She says, well, I hope this doesn't sound too impolite, but Ted Bundy was just never that fucking bright. He was just sort of charismatic and white, all right, and he was so fucking sure he had the right. But he's ugly, and I'm glad he's dead, because there was no fucking candle in his pumpkin head. You're not special for winning a game with someone who you know was never playing. She could have killed you. She had every right. You just caught her off guard tonight. And that's the thing like the the line that stands out to me from that is you're not special for winning a game with someone who you know was never playing yeah because that's that's what it feels like because they all want to act like they've done something incredible all of these like narcissistic serial killers ted bundy being the prime example yeah but it's like it's like when you're driving in the left lane and you're like, Ooh, I'm going to beat that car to this stoplight. That car is not racing you. Yeah. You're, you're racing it now you've decided, but you didn't win anything. If you beat it to the stoplight, it didn't know it was racing you. Yeah. Uh, You didn't win a fight against a person that you attacked in their sleep. It's that level of narcissism just fucking kills me. 
So on February 12th, with insufficient cash to pay his overdue rent and a growing suspicion that police were closing in on him, Bundy stole a car and fled Tallahassee, driving westward across the Florida panhandle. Three days later, at around 1 a.m., he was stopped by Pensacola police officer David Lee near the Alabama state line after a wants and warrants check showed his fucking hell showed his Volkswagen Beetle was stolen. Dumbass. Yes, because of course, when he stole a car, four things, baby, four fucking four things. things <laughs> yes, he was like, ah, oh, yes, I have to steal a car, something that'll, uh, something that'll be low profile. <gasps> a Volkswagen Beetle, my favorite. Yeah. When told he was it's un- probably also fucking tan. Yeah, <laughs> probably. <laughs> when told he was under arrest, Bundy kicked Lee's legs out from under him and took off running. Lee fired two warning shots, then gave chase and tackled him. The two struggled over Lee's gun before the officer finally subdued and arrested Bundy. In the stolen vehicle were three sets of IDs belonging to female FSU students. Imagine firing... I'm so sorry, Don, but... Imagine firing warning shots at a man who is suspected to be a serial rapist and murderer. He He doesn't know. Okay. He only knows that he found a normal-looking white dude who was driving a stolen car. Okay. Who, when he asked him to step out of the car, kicked his legs out from under him and ran. Okay. As listeners of this podcast will understand, fuck the police. However, shoot that man. Don't though. Don't. Yeah, don't don't ever shoot a man in the back. But if we had known it was Ted Bundy, oh God! Imagine shoot to kill. Imagine. Well, but also like, I guess like also imagine the privilege of being able to physically assault a cop to escape. Uh huh. Getting the warning shots, and then they still tackle you to the ground after the shots are started. You know what I mean? In the seventies. In the seventies. Like, come on now. Come on. Get it together. America. (laughs) So in the stolen vehicle were three sets of IDs belonging to female FSU students, 21 stolen credit cards, and a stolen television set. Also found were a pair of dark-rimmed non-prescription glasses and a pair of plaid slacks, later identified as the disguise worn by Richard Burton Fire Department in Jacksonville. As Lee transported his suspect to jail, unaware that he had just arrested one of the FBI's 10 most wanted fugitives, he heard Bundy say, I wish you had killed me. So following a change of venue to Miami, Bundy stood trial for the Kyle Omega Not homicide. me anymore, suddenly. <laughs> suddenly uh, I disagree with Bundy. I, I wish, <laughs> yeah. I'm glad. <laughs> so Bundy stood trial for the Kyle Omega homicides and assaults in June of 1979. The trial was covered by 250 reporters from five continents and was the first to be televised nationally in the United States. Despite the presence of yeah, five... this was the first ever nationally televised trial. So... Uh, no, wonder, no wonder if you go to school in America, you will not avoid hearing about Ted Bundy. Yeah. yeah. But you will hear about it. He cemented himself as... America's first real boogeyman because he was everywhere. Not only that, but he's quote unquote cross-sectional in that like if you're studying say criminal law, 
you'll you'll study him among other people who try to impersonate cops because he's so high profile. If you're stu- if you're studying like, you know, um anything to do with like television, you're probably going to yeah. end up talking about the first nationally broad whatever and then like serial killers are always going to be brought up in psych no matter uh-huh. what psych class you're taking, you know, so on and so forth. Yeah, cuz you if you're in a psychology class, you're going to talk about psychopathy. And you're going to talk about the one of the most perfect psychopaths to have ever existed, Ted Bundy. Yep. And now Can't when, avoid it. when all of when the manhunt happened after he escaped in Colorado. Mm-hmm. Um this is another reminder of just how plain and average Ted Bundy is. Did he join his own fucking manhunt? No. Okay. No, 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 no. <laughs> but there were sightings. Ah. There were sightings of Ted Bundy everywhere. Because they, they had photos of him. They had his mugshot. Yeah. And uh, they were being passed around. Uh, people were calling in tips because they had seen him on the news and blah, 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 blah. And in Seattle, in California, in, everywhere across the United States, people were calling in Bundy sightings. Yep. So they had no fucking clue where he was, and that's just like the biggest testament to how normal he looked. That's kind of frustrating. Yeah, isn't it just? That's really fucking frustrating. Yep. So despite the presence of five court-appointed attorneys, Bundy again handled much of his own defense. From the beginning, he sabotaged... What? Yeah. Uh, From the beginning, he sabotaged his entire defense effort out of spite, distrust, and grandiose delusion, Nelson later wrote. Ted was facing murder charges with a possible death sentence, and all that mattered to him, apparently, was that he be in charge. According to Mike Minerva... A Tallahassee public defender and member of the defense team, a pretrial plea bargain was negotiated in which Bundy would plead guilty to killing Levy, Bowman, and Leach in exchange for a firm 75-year prison sentence. Prosecutors were amiable to a deal, but by one account, because prospects of losing at trial were very good. Bundy, on the other hand, saw the plea deal not only as a means of avoiding the death penalty, but also as a tactical move. He could enter his plea, then wait a few years for evidence to disintegrate or become lost and for witnesses to die, move on, or retract their testimony. Once the case against him had deteriorated beyond repair, he could file a post-conviction motion to set aside the plea and secure an acquittal. At the last minute, however, Bundy refused the deal. It made him realize he was going to have to stand up in front of the whole world and say he was guilty, Minerva said, and he just couldn't do it. Sounds a lot like someone we know nowadays. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, there is a direct link. This is statistically true. Where psychopaths, uh, if they're not serial killers and murderers, most psychopaths become CEOs and politicians. Does not surprise me. wonder how that could be. Yeah, it shouldn't. Such a mystery. So at trial, crucial testimony came from the Chi Omega sorority members, Connie Hastings, who placed Bundy in the vicinity of the sorority house that evening, and Nita Neary, who saw him leaving the house clutching the murder weapon. 
Incriminating physical evidence included impressions of the bite wounds Bundy had inflicted on Levy's left buttock with forensic odontologist Richard uh, Soveron and Lowell Levine matched to castings of Bundy's teeth. The jury deliberated for less than seven hours before convicting Bundy on July 24th, 1979 of the Bowman and Levy murders. Three counts of attempted first-degree murder for the assaults on Kleiner, Chandler, and Thomas, and two counts of burglary. Trial Judge Edward Court imposed death sentences for the murder convictions. Six months later, a second trial took place in Orlando for the abduction and murder of Leach. Bundy was found guilty once again after less than eight hours' deliberation, due principally to the testimony of an eyewitness who saw him leading Leach from the schoolyard to his stolen van. Important material evidence included clothing fibers with an unusual manufacturing error found in the van and on Leach's body, which matched fibers from the jacket Bundy was wearing when he was arrested. By the way, uh, if you go to the Orlando courthouse in one of the, court, the whatever courtroom that the trial was held, the, the, the table, uh -huh. the defense table there actually has a piece of glass on top of it because he had carved his name into the table. So they have a piece of glass, so forever you can see his name carved into the table. Wow, I actually did not know that. The only reason In I know all it, the research that I did for this, I did not know. Yeah, the only reason I know that is because I watch wild. a guy on uh, YouTube called Adam the Woo, and he goes. To, he's like one of those traveling bloggers. He goes to different roadside attractions and stuff. And one day he went to uh -huh. the Orlando courthouse and showed it it's the only reason i know so during the penalty phase of the leach trial bundy took advantage of an obscure florida law providing that a marriage declaration in court in the presence of a judge constituted a legal marriage as he was questioning boone, oh yeah you're gonna fucking love this reuben as he was questioning boone who had moved to florida to be near bundy he testified on his behalf during both or had testified on his behalf during both trials and was again testifying on his behalf as a character witness he asked her to marry him she accepted and bundy declared to the court that they were legally married so that means that she yeah. couldn't testify it's this weird thing in florida law uh, where yeah. somebody is sworn in and testifying in court before a judge yeah. if you propose and they say, yes, you're just legally married. Yeah, and as such, they don't have to testify against you anymore. So on February... Wow. Because you you cannot be compelled to testify against a spouse. Yeah. Wow. That's national law. <laughs> yeah. So on February 10th, that, 1980... That right there... Sorry, Don, I don't mean to keep interrupting you. But, like, I, I maintain that Ted Bundy is not nearly as bright as people like to uh, convey him as having been. No, he has That's just the, the right amount. That's the smartest thing yeah. that he ever did. But he also, he has just the right amount of insider knowledge. That's what people mistake for being smart, like intelligent. Mm -hmm. He's not necessarily more intelligent than the next guy. He just happens to be a psychopath who has the exact amount and and type of knowledge that he needs to do the things that he's doing. That's all. He just worked with law enforcement people, worked with, you know, his girlfriend is a, now wife is a DES or was a whatever a DES agent, which while they may not be actual cops, I'm not actually sure about that. They work closely with the cops like these. You know. Well, and he was a law student twice. Right. So 
He just he has fucking the amount of knowledge. Dropped out and flunked out both times. But, but still, you still retain certain things. Mm-hmm. You know, especially a quirky ass law like that. Plus, acting as his own lawyer and all the time that he spent in jail. Yeah. All he was doing was reading law books. What an arrogant prick. So on uh, on February 10th, 1980, Bundy was sentenced for a third time to death by electrocution. As uh, As the sentence was announced, he reportedly stood and shouted, tell the jury they were wrong. Now, this third death sentence would be the one ultimately carried out nearly nine years later. On October 24th, 1980- now, um, that that line where he stood up and shouted, tell the jury they were wrong. Mm-hmm. That's the the really famous picture of Ted Bundy where he's in court pointing and screaming. Mm. That's that's what that's from. Ah. Um, on October 24th, 1982, Boone gave birth to a daughter, Rose Bundy. While conjugal visits were not allowed at the Florida State Prison in Rayford, where Bundy was incarcerated, inmates were known to pool their money in order to bribe guards to allow them intimate time alone with their female visitors. Shortly after the conclusion of the... Yeah. Of the leak, so he managed to father a, a child while he was imprisoned. And legally not supposed to be able to do that. Yeah. And from what I understand, uh, I didn't dig too deep because I don't want to dig too deep about it. Um, I believe his daughter has changed her name, her entire name, and dropped off the face of the planet. Wouldn't you? Yes, absolutely. And that's that's what I mean. That's why I like even... I'm about to Google it again right now. And if I find anything about her, like where she is now or whatever, I'm just not going to say it because she deserves peace. Yep. So shortly after the conclusion of the Leach trial and the beginning of the long appeals process that followed, Bundy initiated a series of interviews with Stephen Mashad and Hugh Ainsworth, speaking mostly in third person to avoid, quote, the stigma of confession. He began for the first time to divulge details of his crimes and thought processes. Bundy recounted his career as a thief, confirming Clofer's longtime suspicion that he had shoplifted virtually everything of substance that he owned. The big payoff for me, he said, was actually possessing whatever it was I had stolen. I really enjoyed having something that I had wanted to go- that I had wanted and gone out and taken. Possession proved to be an important motive for rape and murder as well. Sexual assault, he said, fulfilled his need to totally possess his victims. At first, he killed his victims as a matter of expediency to eliminate the possibility of being caught, but later, murder became part of the adventure. The ultimate possession was, in fact, the taking of the life, he said, and then the physical possession of the remains. Bundy also confided in Special Agent William Hagmeyer of the FBI Behavioral Analysis Unit. Hagmeyer, uh, or Meyer was struck by the deep, almost mystical satisfaction that Bundy took in murder. He said that after a while, murder was not just a crime of lust or violence. Uh, It became possession. They are a part of you. The victim becomes a part of you, and you two are forever one. And the grounds where you you kill them or leave them become sacred to you. That is bonkers. Yeah. Um, So, jumping backward just a little bit... um, the series of interviews that he did with uh, Stephen G. Mashad and uh, Hugh Ainsworth. So that made up uh, Confessions of a Killer, Ted Bundy. They published all of it. And 
he did that whole weird thing where uh, he was still maintaining his innocence at the time that they got their interviews with him, their interviews, which took place over the course of like two years. He was I heard still, him mention third person. Yeah. He was fully maintaining his innocence at this time. So they were like, well, since it wasn't you, what do you think the killer was like? And so it gave him finally this way to like brag yeah. about everything that he did uh, without uh, actually confessing. He's like, well, this killer was probably uh, very suave and uh, whatever. He, he basically he yeah. confessed to most of the murders in the third person so that it wasn't really a confession. Yeah. And that was the audiobook <clears throat> that I listened to as part of my research for this. It's actually a pretty interesting listen. If you can get through the first few parts, which are so incredibly frustrating i already hated ted bundy just from like the the cursory knowledge that anyone who has a heavy interest in true crime will have about ted bundy but listening to that is what really solidified my deep deep seated hatred for this man real fuck ted bundy hours yes <clears throat> And I was listening to it at work, too, which was really weird because it would be like Ted Bundy describing another person who is also Ted Bundy uh, committing a crime. And I have to be like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's on aisle nine. Yep. What a weird disconnect. Yeah, super weird. So Bundy told Hagmeyer that he considered himself to be an amateur and impulsive killer uh, in his early years before moving into what he termed his prime or predator phase at about the time of Healy's murder in 1974. Now, this implied that he began killing well before 1974, although he never explicitly admitted having done so. Uh, in July of 1984, a prison, guard, prison guards found two hacksaw blades hidden in Bundy's cell. A steel bar in one of the cell's windows had been sawed completely through at the top and bottom and glued back into place with a homemade soap-based adhesive. Several months later, guards found an unauthorized mirror and Bundy was moved to a different cell. Shortly thereafter, he was charged with a disciplinary infraction for unauthorized correspondence with another high-profile criminal, John Hinckley Jr., who, if you don't know, is the one who tried to uh... assassinate Reagan. Oh, right. So in uh, That's what I was going to be like. I should know that name. Yeah. So in October of 1984, Bundy contacted Keppel and offered to share his self-proclaimed expertise in serial killer psychology. In the ongoing hunt in Washington for the Green River Killer, later identified as Gary Ridgway, Keppel and Green River Task Force Detective David Reichardt interviewed Bundy, but Ridgway remained at large for a further 17 years. Keppel published a detailed documentation. Yeah, of the... he just wanted something to fucking do. Yeah. Who? Ted Bundy. Okay. He was like, yeah, I'm I'm an expert on serial killers since I've been investigating this case, which I am innocent of, which involves a serial killer. So now I'm an expert and I'll help you catch this guy. And then he fucking didn't. Right. Wow. So. Wow. <laughs> 
Uh, Keppel published a detailed documentation of the Green River interviews and later collaborated with Michaud on another examination of the interview material. In early 1986, an execution date, March 4th, was set on the the Chi Omega convictions. The U.S. Supreme Court issued a brief stay, but the execution was quickly rescheduled. In April, shortly after the new date, July 2nd, was announced, Bundy finally confessed to Hagmeyer and Nelson what they believed was the full range of his depredations, including details of what he did to some of his victims after their deaths. He told them that he revisited Taylor Mountain, Issaquah, and other secondary crime scenes often several times to lie with his victims and perform sexual acts with their bodies until putrefaction forced him to stop. In some cases, he drove for several hours each way and remained uh, the entire night. In Utah, he applied makeup to Smith's lifeless face and repeatedly washed Amy's hair. If you've got time, he told Hagmeyer, they can be anything you want them to be. He decapitated approximately twelve yeah. of his. He decapitated approximately twelve of his victims with a hacksaw, and kept at least one group of severed heads, probably the four later found on Taylor Mountain, which was Rancourt, Parks, Ball, and Healy's heads, in his apartment for a period of time before disposing of them. Less than fifteen hours. So this this is the thing. This is the thing for me, that. Like I've I've been waiting to make this point for a little while. I don't I don't remember if I went into it in one of the early episodes. We've done so much of this, but <clears throat> I think if ever there was a corporeal manifestation of one of the seven deadly sins, it was Ted Bundy as greed. And a lot of people might think Ted Bundy would be pride because of his narcissism. But what he wanted more than anything was to own these women's. And you can hear it all here in the language that he uses to describe them. And it's even more evident when you listen through conversations with a killer by Stephen G. Michaud and Hugh Ainsworth, which I highly recommend. It's free if you have a, a Spotify subscription. You can just listen to the whole audiobook for free. Uh, but th- that's what it was all about to him was ownership and control he was the essence of greed yeah ruben is nauseous (laughs) i'm literally holding my stomach right now we're almost done it's it's really bad we're almost done. yeah we, we are almost done we are in the last couple of pages here okay so less than 15 hours before the scheduled july 2nd execution the 11th circuit court of appeals stayed it indefinitely and remanded the chi omega case for review on multiple technicalities including bundy's mental competency to stand trial and an erroneous instruction by the trial judge during the penalty phase requiring the jury to break a 6-6 tie between life imprisonment and the death penalty which ultimately was never resolved. A new date, November 18th, was then set to carry out the Leach sentence. The 11th Circuit Court issued a stay on November 17th. In mid-1988, the 11th Circuit Court ruled against Bundy, and in December, the Supreme Court denied a motion to review the ruling over the dissents of Justice Thurgood Marshall and William J. Brennan. Um... Within hours of that final denial, a firm execution date of January 24th, 1989 was announced. Bundy's journey through the appeals court had been unusually rapid for a capital murder case. Contrary to popular belief, the courts moved Bundy as fast as they could, 
Even prosecutors acknowledge that Bundy's lawyers never employed delaying tactics, though people everywhere seethed at the apparent delay in executing the archdemon, Ted Bundy was actually on the fast track. Now, with all appeal avenues exhausted and no further motivation to deny his crimes, Bundy agreed to speak frankly with investigators. He confessed to Keppel that he had committed all eight of the Washington and Oregon homicides for which he was the prime suspect. He described three additional previously unknown victims in Washington and two in Oregon whom he declined to identify if indeed he ever knew their identities. He said he left a fifth corpse, Manson's, on Taylor Mountain, but incinerated her head in Clofer's fireplace. He described the- uh, as- Yeah, I had, I had mistyped uh, Manson as Mason earlier. So if you remember when we were talking about a victim with the last name Mason, it was actually supposed to be Manson. Ah. Um, <clears throat> so this segment of him finally admitting is referred to- uh, I may actually have it somewhere here in the in the next few scripts or in the next few paragraphs. Um, this is referred to as Bundy's Bones for Time scheme because he was hoping that, that with, he would delay with his all execution. of his appeals having been ex- uh, exhausted. That if he finally confessed and he gave up the locations of the bodies, then they would reduce him to life in prison without the possibility. Yeah. But it didn't fucking work. I just have to know. I mean, it's so interesting to me that these serial killers, they want the recognition. They want to brag about themselves about this act that is ultimately base. And by that, I don't mean it's cruel or anything. It is, but it's base in that, uh, humans been doing this shit since before we could speak. Yeah. So you're not special. <clears throat> and it always confuses me. Like, I guess it's because they think they're special that they're the ones that do- that get to live or whatever. But like you killed a bunch of people. What do you think was going to happen? Even I, a pacifist, am like, damn, kill this motherfucker already. Like, yeah. And which, I mean, like we just talked about, they were trying. I know. Man, oh man. And I don't even, I don't even believe in that. I feel like the death penalty should be abolished, but like, right. Kill this motherfucker already. Like, damn. Of giving the government permission to murder people. Right. I don't like that. But, but like, Ted Bundy, this man should die. (laughs) Like, uh, I did find one piece of information about uh, Ted Bundy's daughter, Rose Bundy. Uh, she changed her name and left America. Good she for her. pieced out of this whole fucking country. Good for her. Good for her. I won't even say what country she probably went to, even though it was in the article. We ain't fucking talking about it. Good for her. Stay far away. So... Um... Keppel said he described the Issaquah crime scenes where the bones of Ott, Naslin, and Hawkins were found, and it was almost like he was just there, like he was seeing everything. He was infatuated with the idea because he spent so much time there. He's just totally consumed with murder all the time. Nelson's impressions were similar. It was the absolute misogyny of his crimes that stunned me, she wrote. His manifest rage against women. He had no compassion at all. He was totally engrossed in the details. His murders were his life's accomplishments. 
Bundy confessed to detectives from Idaho, Utah, and Colorado that he had committed numerous additional homicides, including several that were unknown to the police. He explained that when he was in Utah, he could bring his victims back to his apartment where he could reenact scenarios depicted on the covers of detective magazines. A new ulterior strategy. Yeah, this is remember remember the detective magazines as yeah. well, because that's going to uh, become relevant again here in just a minute. A new ulterior strategy quickly became apparent. He withheld many details, hoping to parlay the incomplete information into yet another stay of execution. There are other buried remains in Colorado, he admitted, but refused to elaborate. The new strategy, immediately dubbed Ted's Bones for Time Scheme, served only to deepen the resolve of authorities to see Bundy executed on schedule and yielded little new detailed information. In cases where he did give details, nothing was found. Colorado detective Matt Linville interpreted this as a conflict between his desire to postpone his execution by divulging information and his need to remain in total possession, the only person who knew his victim's true resting places. When it became clear that no further states would be... Which, my favorite thing about this is that he's like, all right. This is it. This is my last chance. I got to do something. I'm finally, uh, I'll confess. And then they'll have to keep me alive until I give up all the locations. And then I'll just never give up all the locations. And they were like, well, we knew he was guilty the whole time, but now he's admitting it and he's bullshitting us. Kill him faster. Yep. (laughs) So That's when, the appropriate response. Yup. When it became clear that no further stays would be forthcoming from the courts, Bundy supporters began lobbying for the only remaining option, executive clemency. Diana Weiner, oh my God, a young Whoa, Florida attorney. Wait a moment. <laughs> I, I knew you were going to latch on to those two words. <laughs> Bundy supporters. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Huh? Mm-hmm. What? Yep. Really? Yeah. Yeah. He was getting like love letters and marriage proposals and shit. Yeah. Tons of love letters were going into him all the time. He had a fucking fan club. I hate the world. (laughs) And uh, it wasn't like uh, other narcissistic, misogynistic men either. It was women. Yeah. I knew that intrinsically. Yeah. I I know you did, but maybe a couple of people listening didn't. It's, and I'll never understand that. that He still has, like, a fan club. That's crazy. People that are, like, legitimately just in love with him. And some people still think that he didn't do it and that he only confessed to try and save his own life. Wild. And I just, I don't understand because it's so clear. It's so clear when when you listen to him speak because uh, the, the audiobook... Um, from Conversations with a Killer was narrated by two different, three different guys, I believe. And, but I I did, I I went and I listened to some of the actual audio recordings and they are just garbage quality. And he was like whispering into the microphone the whole time as he was talking about it because he didn't want the guards to hear. Yeah. Uh, But it's just... I understand different people have different capacities for being manipulated. But you would think. But you would think. But you would think. And you'd be wrong. Yeah. 
So uh, Diana Weiner, a young Florida attorney and Bundy's last purported love interest, asked the families of several Colorado and Utah victims to petition Florida Governor Bob Martinez for a postponement to give Bundy time to reveal more information. All refused. Uh, Nelson wrote the family. Good for are- them. Yeah. yeah. Fantastic for them. Because they, they've they accepted, right? They've they've had time to reach that the the acceptance stage of grief. Yeah. Where they're like, look, our our loved one is gone. She's not coming back. She's at rest already. And, and we know Kill him. we're gonna know. Kill him. Yeah. So Martinez made it clear that he yep. would not agree to further delays in any case. We are not going to have the system manipulated, he told reporters. For him to be negotiating for his life over the bodies of victims is despicable. Boone yep. had championed Bundy's innocence throughout all of his trials and felt deeply deeply betrayed by his admission that he was, in fact, guilty. She moved back to Washington with her daughter and refused to accept his phone call on the morning of his execution. She was hurt by his relationship with Diana Weiner, Nelson wrote, and devastated by his sudden wholesale confessions in his last days. Hagmeyer was present during Bundy's final interviews with investigators. On the eve of his execution, he talked of suicide. He did not want to give the state satisfaction of watching him die, Hagmeyer said. Bundy was executed now, in... here's... For some reason, they didn't have this in the Wikipedia article, so I'll just tell you guys about it. One of the final interviews that he did uh, was televised. It was with a... Um, it was like ABC. Uh, uh, Christian like Evangelist. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, Was that on? No, I was... I remember seeing it. I just... I was 14 when that happened. So yeah. I remember actually seeing it on TV, but I didn't remember who it was. Where like. this was his big, one, true, final attempt to get himself out of being executed. And it was like right before his execution. Uh, he did this big televised interview with an evangelist pastor uh, where he placed all of the blame on detective magazines and hardcore porn. Wild. Yep, he made up this whole story about how him and his friends, when they were just innocent young boys, they were exposed to the depravity of first softcore porn but then they would go through the trash and find more hardcore pornography and detective magazines which depicted violence against women and that just poisoned his young mind and so really if you think about it he's a victim of society so don't kill me please and then they fucking killed him good fuck him um so Bundy was executed. Fully on the fuck Ted Bundy train. <laughs> Bundy was executed in the Rayford Electric Chair at 7.16 a.m. Eastern Standard Time on Tuesday, January 24th, 1989. His last words were directed at his attorney, Jim Coleman, and Methodist minister, Fred Lawrence. Jim and Fred, I'd like you to give my love to my family and friends. As we said at the beginning, no. hundreds of revelers danced, sang, and set off fireworks in a pasture across from the prison as the execution was carried out then cheered as the white hearse containing Bundy's corpse departed the prison. He was cremated in Gainesville and his ashes scattered at an undisclosed location in the Cascade Range of Washington State in accordance with his will. 
And that finally takes us out of the hellscape that was Ted Bundy. Oh, it sure finally does. Oh, my God. I I was like, yeah, I'll just do Ted Bundy real quick. Yeah. I didn't expect to feel this drained afterwards. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? You're <laughs> fucking telling me, Bob. Oh, man, oh, man. It's been, it's been weeks that I have been up to my nose in this shit. Yeah. Like for the last, well, for the first two weeks where I was working on the script, all that I listened to while I was at work was information about Bundy. And a lot of it, you know, you listen to documentaries and podcasts and audiobooks, and you end up hearing a lot of the same information over and over. So at a certain point, it started to get so repetitive. And it's like, I don't, I want to give all this information away so that I don't have to have it anymore. Yep. But I can't. Correct. Because it's fucking in there now, bud. Yep. It's not going anywhere. I just know everything about the life and times of Theodore Robert Bundy yeah. for the rest of my life. Yep. It will never go away. Nope. I, yeah. People say things about Charles Manson, and I'm like, that's bullshit, because I remember that. <laughs> like, so thank you, everybody, for riding along with us on this, like Ruben said, the fuck Bundy train. Um, as we've been saying, we have a thing going on. The fuck Ted Bundy train. Yeah. We have a thing going on right now that for every $20, uh, we get whether new or upgraded to Patreon, uh, we will do a bonus we'll episode. Do a new Ted Bundy episode. No, we won't. We're done with Ted Bundy. Um, <laughs> and, um, we'll, we'll, Force Josh in front of a laptop at gunpoint and, <laughs> and make him write more detailed descriptions. Also, any new or current um, patrons that we get, I'll figure out a date to finally set this, uh, will be entered into a raffle to get hard copies of the uh, some of the uh, research books that I've had before I learned the wonderful world of Kindles. And... Um, if you want, we'll autograph them. If not, we won't. Uh, other than that, uh, like I said a couple weeks, uh, last week, we're getting very, very close to our 100th episode, and it's it's a big one. Uh, looking at at least a four-parter, possibly more. I mean, this was supposed to be a two-parter. We brought it to three, so we'll see how it goes. Yep. Uh, Don, is, Don is already dropping hints in the Discord yes, as to what it will be. I know nobody has a fucking clue with the hint that I dropped. No, you literally, I, I swear to God, you went to like a random word generator and made it type three random words. No. I know what the thing is and I don't even know how those it's, fucking words. They're not random. Those words, it. those words are not random. I know, I know they're not. No, I know they're not. I know you're up to some bullshit, <laughs> but God damn it. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be a little bit more, um less giving than Josh was by sharing the one most obvious picture as his first guess. <laughs> I still like <laughs> Josh, when you were a kid, was it easy for you to keep secrets or? Yeah. Okay. Good. Yeah. Well, it's because uh, like I made my mom think that I couldn't lie to her. 
Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Yeah, and she was like, ah, you couldn't lie to me if you tried. And I was like, yeah, you're right. I sure couldn't, Mom. <laughs> anyway, me and my friend are going to go to the skate park. And then we went and smoked weed in the woods. Yep. Like, Yep. All right, so we're going to wrap this up because we still got one more episode to do. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening. And fuck cancer, fuck the bitchels, fuck Ted Bundy. Uh be good, be to, good to yourselves. Shout, out, Shout to- out to the plant babies and their mamas. Thank you. And we will see you next time. Bye. Goodbye. Bye.